Good morning, church. It is good to be with you guys to worship our Lord this morning. It's been raining early morning, but I hope it is well when you arrive here. Um, it's a joy for me to serve the Word of God this morning. Um, as Doug mentioned, um, Pastor Jordan was feeling ill this week alongside the family at home, and uh, they are in times of recovery, and uh, just we're caring for them to recover. Um, our pastor works so hard. He's always running with full energy, and it takes uh, the flu to get him to slow down. So hopefully he will take uh, time away to rest uh, for a bit. Pastor, if you're watching, we're praying for you. Um, I know Pastor Jordan mentioned his, his parents watch and log in from Texas. Maybe today, Mom, if you are watching, we will take care of him here. Everyone of the family, right? Yes? We will take good care of them, so they will be fine. <laughs> We're praying for them also. So um, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, my name is Abel. If I haven't met you later, uh, I, I will get to know you, and uh, it's just a joy to be with you. Uh, over the past several weeks, we have been running through um, uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, before that, we were going through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we are taking a stop, and we're going to go through the book of Psalms uh, this week. And uh, it is my joy to bring the Word of God from Psalm 73. As I was in my preparation and even waking up this morning, I was praying, God, do a mighty work this morning. And I was, being honest with you, I was crying in tears. Here is something God really brought to my remembrance to strengthen me and to encourage me. The year is 1850. It's in January in two hours drive away in a small town outside of London, England. A boy who is 15 years old was traveling, and there was a huge blizzard, snowstorm in that city and in that town. He was trying to go somewhere, and he couldn't go anywhere else because the storm was really bad. God, in his kindness, in his providence, he led this guy to enter into a church service, a chapel, and he walked in there. And the preacher that day was unable to make it because the blizzard was so heavy. And there was a substitute minister that day. He walked into the pulpit and he began to preach from the book of Isaiah 45, verse 22. And that preacher said, Look unto me, you all, the ends of the earth. Look to me and be ye saved. And he began to preach and he began to give Christ and him crucified. And that little boy, a 15-year-old sitting in the pews, was not saved. Though his parents were Christians and believers, and they were praying to God that he would one day be saved, and God saved that young boy, 15 years old. A year later, at 16, he began to be a minister of God's word, the carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That young boy, his name is Charles Spurgeon. His life and ministry blessed many. God used that man even today. You go into a pastor's study office, they have some writings of his, whether it is a commentary or a sermon he preached, there is something in there for them to be encouraged by, even today. And God did a mighty work. So today our snow blizzard is a little bit of sickness that went around, especially because the season is a flu season, and God will do a mighty work. Maybe today you are visiting among us, a friend brought you here, or you are in a season of wondering where your next step will be. But God will do a mighty work with us today. And I prayed, believing that he will speak to us this morning. 
and among you believers, the Word of God will work mightily if you believe. I came believing. If you have believed and you are ready to hear from the Word of God, just say, Amen. Thank you. Let's pray together now. Oh, our God, our Father, we love you. Thank you for gathering us this morning. Thank you so much, oh Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your grace. God, you have gathered us this morning to hear from you. And we lay our all being before you. Would you work mightily now, today? You have appointed the proclamation of your word, the preaching of the gospel, the means to save, to sustain, to build up, to encourage. Oh, Lord God, work now. Holy Spirit, encourage the weak, the hurting. We do not know what we have been through through the week. Only you know. Each and every one of us in this room, you know what we went through. For the weak, would you strengthen? For the one losing hope, would you give hope today? For the one that is in darkness, would you bring to light? Would you open eyes, O oh God? Thank you for the work that was done in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this Advent season, Lord. Father, you will work, whether it is Paul that preached it, or Cephas, or even Israel, or even a donkey. Lord, you have the treasures of the gospel in jars of clay. Christ Jesus, our Lord, may we see you today. Open our eyes. May we look to you. Dispense your grace to sustain us at this hour. Be with us, Holy Spirit, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Open the word with me from the book of Psalm 73, if you have your Bible. We are going to look at a song of a sleeping saint, and it's written by Asepha. Who is Asepha? He is a Levite, and he was leading worship in the time of David in the tabernacle with the people of God in Israel. And then right after that, through Solomon's reign, the son of David, when the temple was established, he used to sing and lead the worship team through the clan of Levites. And he's wondering in himself, having a crisis of faith because he was comparing his life with the life of the wicked. And he begins to question his faith in the Lord. He begins to question the integrity of God and God in his mercy will straighten him out. And we will go through this song today and we will find much encouragement through it. So, open up the word with me. Let's look at verse one to three. I'm gonna read. Asafa says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He declares the truths of the goodness of God. He says, surely God is good. I understand it mentally. I can capture, understand this truth that surely God is good. God is good to Israel. He has seen the goodness of God in the life of his people. He brought them out of Egypt. He carried them under his wings for 40 years. He gave them a land. He established his covenant with them. He took care of them even when they failed to remain faithful. 
He says, God is truly good to the one that is pure in heart. He's speaking of those that are walking faithfully with God. But let me tell you something. God is good by his very nature as well. Yes, God is good to Israel. God is good to the faithful. But by his very nature, God himself is good. And it leads him even to question God's integrity. Because when you think about it, Jesus in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 45, he said, your father is good. He lets the rain <laughs> he lets the rain come down on the evil and on the good, and he lets his sun shine on the just and on the unjust. This is the goodness of God on all humanity, on all his creation. He bestows his goodness on all of the universe that he has made. He sustains it by his power. Even God's children receive salvation, an incredible blessing, and his goodness. And yet, even the unbelievers, even the wicked experience a level of goodness from God that they do not deserve. Even though they don't acknowledge the goodness that comes from God in their lives, just because he has made them in his image, he bestows his grace and goodness. Great, great gifts that he gives the children of men. The other day, I was thinking of a guy. I ran into him on YouTube, and he was being documented, and this has been for several years, but I recently found him. Um, he's from the Caribbean, and he lives in London, and um, he takes um, a helicopter ride of the New York City, or the biggest towns and cities with skyscrapers in Singapore, in Tokyo, and he would take a 30-minute helicopter ride. He would capture everything he saw in memory, and he goes into a building, 250 wide piece of paper, and he would draw every single detail every single detail from memory. This is an incredible goodness of God bestowed on God's entire creation. And this man, whether he knows God or not, he's received a gift. Does he acknowledge him? I don't know him. You can think of some of the smartest people we know, like Albert Einstein, given a brilliant mind to explore the world, to study quantum physics, and ending up giving us the nuclear bomb. Thanks, Albert Einstein. He doesn't know God. I read through his biography and he says, there must be some kind of God of the universe. He's an agnostic. Oh, but God is not a knowable being that can enter into creation and make himself known. He was born in a Jewish family. But he doesn't know the Lord and yet he is given God's goodness in him and he doesn't even know Jesus our Lord. So, <laughs> Thinking of that, Asafa enters into a question, a wrestling with God. He asks God, why is the wicked prospering and the godly suffer? And he goes in his mind, what kind of scenario can this be? Let's look at the next verse, 4 to 12. By the way, after questioning the goodness of God, he says, my foot almost slipped. I was envious of the wicked. The moment he started comparing himself and his life and the dealings of the wicked and what God will do with them, he took his eyes off of his own life. He started to be envious. Comparison will lead us to envy. Next, we will see the result of comparison. But let's look at how he compares his life to the wicked. Verse 4 to 12, he says, 
for they have no bangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, that's verse 4. They live long lives and they die peacefully. They have no worries. They have a peaceful deathbed and they fall asleep and there is no worries for all the days of their lives. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. They are not experiencing health issues. They are not experiencing any troubles. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. 6, therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covered them as a garment. They are full of pride. They have no fear of God in their eyes. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. Every heart desire that they have, they get it. There is no limit to what they can touch and achieve. And he is contemplating on how the wicked can get away with this. If God is fair and just and good, how can he allow such horrible things happen? What is going on? And he's questioning it, and he's wrestling with it, and he's comparing the prosperity of the wicked. They scoff and speak, verse 8, with malice. Loftily, they, they treat an oppression. Even the justice system, they circumvent. They oppress the weak. They get away with murder. They get away with injustice. And the human court system set up cannot catch them. And God seems to be silent. He doesn't seem to cause them to drop dead. And he's wondering, what is going on, God? What is happening, Lord? The wicked is prospering. Are you looking? Arise, O oh Lord, what's going on? This is a troublesome thought for him. And he is leading worship in Israel. Verse 10, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They are influential. They have high position of influence. And people watching them prosper, gaining wealth through oppression and various means, and getting away with it, they get influence. They get a platform. People hear them, and they flock to them. And the godly gets tempted to follow their ways because there is no consequence. And Asaph is lamenting in his heart. And he is struggling. Verse 11, And they say, How can God know? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Oh, they are extremely prideful. The power have completely taken over. It's as if they are God themselves. They can do whatever they want. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. And they are rich, they have no trouble. They don't think about what they are going to bring tomorrow. How are they going to feed their children tomorrow? How are they going to pay their bills tomorrow? They have everything they wanted. And they are getting it unjustly. There is no integrity in their hearts. And Asafa is hurting. He is struggling in his heart. What is going on, Lord? How can you allow this in the world? Are you not looking? Asafa was living in Israel. There is no cell phone that he can just open up his social media account and look at what's going on around him. We have so many wicked people. They are the high priests of the culture around us. They do whatever they want. They have power and influence. 
and they are leading money, they are dictating the right and wrong, and people are flocking to them, he doesn't need to see that. And he's still struggling. It's worse for us today in this time. You can avoid the wicked and their dealings by being home if you were living in that time. But today you can't escape it. Whether you are turning on your television, whether you are reading something from your phone or social accounts, you will run into the dealings of the wicked and you will be tempted. Friends, do you really find this troubling? Have you experienced this wrestling in your own life? Be honest. It's not easy to see the wicked prospering. And there are many, many ways to be tempted by it. And if you are being honest, you have struggled with this kind of comparison. And you are wondering, God, when are you going to act? How are they getting away with it? Think and consider on it. If you are a young mother, and you are trying to raise your child, and you say, Lord, look at that mom. She doesn't even acknowledge you that you have given her a gift. Her child looks to be healthy. And my child is struggling with illness and disability, and I have to take my baby to the doctors all the time. But look at the wicked. They are prospering, and they look healthy. And they are posting their life, what they are doing, with no care, with no repercussions. You are wondering what you are going to do tomorrow to pay for the rent and you open up your phone and you see them vacationing in Bahamas. And you are wondering, God, what's going on? I'm going to be frank with you. I have had my own story where God really brought me to a point where, God, look, I am struggling with my wife. We have had multiple miscarriages. And I was crying out before God in front of my wife, I try to be strong to encourage her because she's worse than I was. I was hurting. She was hurting. God, you have blessed the wicked with many children. They can't even take care of them. They throw them to a place of slaughter. They don't even take care of them. They don't even count them as human beings. And yet we are suffering. God, what's going on? I have lamented for years before my son came into being. His name is David, and he's sitting upstairs with us. I have lamented, and I have cried, and I have wept. And if you are honest today, you are wondering, why am I not prospering in the workplace when I have integrity before God, when I fear the Lord, when I honor Him with where I am? And you see the wicked getting the promotion. You see the wicked prospering when they start a new business, and your business is almost collapsing. And you open up your LinkedIn account. And you go to your friend's account because you are connected. And you see your new friend is now starting a new place. And they became CEO. And they are getting everywhere. And they are getting away with it. But because you are walking with integrity, you are not going anywhere. You are not finding favor with man. And you are struggling. Fathers, you may be struggling. Daughters, you may be struggling with many things. And you are comparing your life to the wicked. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. God is watching. God is watching. How does the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, give us hope? Think on John 5. 
when Jesus healed a paralyzed man after many years of being sick. He healed them, and the Jewish, because he said he's equal with God. They were angry. He was healing people, and he's calling God my father. And they wanted to kill him, and they marveled at the miracle he accomplished. And Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, do not marvel at this. The hour is coming at the voice of the Son of God when the righteous and the wicked will rise in the resurrection when they hear the voice of the Son of God. There will be a resurrection of the just and the wicked. There will be a resurrection of judgment and condemnation and a resurrection to glory and joy with God. Everyone who have put their faith in Jesus will experience that glory. Everyone who have put their faith in Jesus will be with him in bliss and joy forever. But the wicked will have their day in court with God. They will have their day in court with God. Remember that. Look verse 13 to 16 with me. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's questioning the value of godliness. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. What's the point of me following God faithfully? What's the point of me trying to do what is right at the cost, at the expense of my own injury because I want to honor the right way. I want to follow the Lord faithfully. What's the point of me fasting and praying and seeking God's plan for my life? He's questioning the godliness. Is there any point in faithfulness with God? And then he says in verse 15, If I had said I will speak this, I would have betrayed the children of your generation. Uh, the generation of your children. He's having these thoughts and he's struggling to say it out loud. I'm afraid to cause a stumbling, a stumbling block to the young in their faith. People are looking up to me. I am leading Israel in worshiping God, and yet inwardly I am struggling with these thoughts. And it is a troubling thing for me to come out and say, I am struggling to abandon ship, to jump ship, to turn my back on following the Lord. And I'm afraid to confess it out loud because there are your children walking faithfully, and when they see me stumble, they may stumble. And he's having trouble with it. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It seemed to me a wearisome task. He is struggling and questioning what is the value of godliness. We saw comparison leads to envy, verse 1 to 3. Now we are seeing comparison leads to doubt. He ends up doubting God, his integrity, and he's falling apart. We'll see. Verse 17, the turning at the sanctuary. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Look at that. He was worshiping God at the tabernacle, at the temple, and his perspective shifted. What do the Jewish people do when they worship God at the temple? The word of God is proclaimed. The word of God is preached. Do you remember in Nehemiah chapter 8? 
Who remembers chapter 8 when Israel opened the word and all of Israel, all those who are capable of understanding, even the children, they were brought as a family and they stood before God and God's word was read and proclaimed and they hear it. What do you think happens at the temple? They see the animal sacrifice that requires God's justice. They see the shaded blood that points to the sacrificial blood of Christ, the innocent blood of Christ. They see God's holiness, that he does not wink at sin, that he is just. What do they see when they worship God at the temple? They sing songs of song. They, they sing, they sing song, uh, songs of psalm. Rich truths in the scriptures that point them toward trusting God's faithfulness. They sing it out loud together. Think of Jesus walking into the synagogue in the New Testament, like in Luke chapter 4. Think of uh, Paul and, and Barabbas in, in their missionary journeys. They show up uh, to the Jewish synagogue first in every town. And they open up the Old Testament. They unpack it and they point people to Jesus as the crucified Messiah. Today, my brothers and sisters, God has called us to gather together on the Lord's day. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday and we are called to gather to worship him, to honor him. And God has appointed the preaching of your, his word to sustain our faith to strengthen us, to renew us, to change us. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, preach the word in season and out of season. In 1 Timothy 4, 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures until I come. Everything they do in their worship is saturated in scripture. In the church of Jesus Christ, it's the same thing as it has been happening in the Old Testament with Israel. We have the word of God proclaimed and God has appointed the proclamation of his word as the means of grace that he will sustain us. The songs that we sing, it is full of truths in scripture. And we sing. Think of uh, Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Singing songs to the Lord and to one another. Singing songs of hymns, thanksgiving songs, singing to one another and us to the Lord. When we are singing, each week you don't know what your brother or sister have been through all week. They may be dealing with fiery trials and they come and you see them sit next to you and singing the goodness of God. How encouraging is that? You see your brother, your sister who you know couldn't even make it because of the situation they are in and yet they prioritize coming to God. To confess his goodness, to confess his mercy, acknowledging how faithful he is to their life and giving thanks in songs. Singing to God happens in the church when we gather, but also the one another encouragement, edification happens, and our minds and our thoughts and our perspectives change. When we see the baptism over there and somebody confesses Jesus Christ is Lord and they identify with him and they are saying I am buried with him in baptism and I am being raised with him and I will follow him all the days of my life. We are visually seeing the word of God preached to us. When we take the Lord's super here, Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as long as you take this cup and eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's days until he's coming. 
You are visually proclaiming the word of God. It's everywhere on the Lord's day. Make a priority to the word of God. Are you making it intentionally center of your life? Are you making it the center of your life? Ask yourself that question. God has appointed it. In Acts 2, the, the disciples, what were they doing in the early church? They devoted them, their lives to the apostolic teaching and preaching of the word of God. They, they broke bread. They were together regularly. They were worshiping the Lord together as a body. All of the New Testament epistles, most of them were written to a local church body. They have pastors there. They have servants. They are organized local churches in multiple regions. How are we prioritizing coming before God? God uses that to sustain us in trials, even in doubts. You know, just recently, maybe it was this week, I was looking at a, a story on the news. A Christian man who is a male career for USPS, he wanted to worship God on Sundays, but his work schedule is so busy, USPS forces them to work on Sunday morning. On the grounds of the Constitution, he pleaded and said, I am a man of faith and I need Sunday for me. I need to worship my God and I need to take it as my day of rest. Therefore, please have that schedule given to someone else. They told him, look, we will reduce the amount of work you have to do on Sundays. You still have to come. You just have to reduce it. We are, we are short in people and our other you know, co-workers are struggling because you can't come on Sunday. No, he said, I'm not coming. Sunday is the day that I will be gathering with God's people. And I will not be available for you. And they kept begging him to come and warning him, we're going to fire you if you don't come. He stopped coming to work. Eventually, they fired him. They let him go. And then he sued the company later on, USPS. And then he went to the Supreme Court. And earlier in January, sometime in 2023, the, the Supreme Court in D.C. decided this man was wronged. He was not protected under being a man of faith according to the law. And they ruled it that he get to have his Sunday off. If he wanted, he have reasonable grounds for it. And I was thinking to myself, how many people skip because they want to play golf? How many people skip because they have some reason that is not a real reason to gather with God's people. Friends, remember, God dispenses His grace to sustain us in the ordinary means. You need to gather. You need not to neglect Him. There are times where it can be reasonable. Some of you I know work as a paramedic. Some of you work as nurses. Some of you work in places that really is an emergency stuff that needs to be taken care of. But some of you need to prioritize the Lord's day. This is where God meets you in a special way. You see, when Jesus said, when two or more gather together, I am there in their midst, he's not talking about sitting in Starbucks. He's not talking about sitting in your PJs and turning on live stream. He's saying, when the church gathers together, I am there in a special way. And his spirit is present among us right now. If you are listening and if you are struggling, 
Make that a priority and see God change your perspective, whatever it may be. I came praying for you, whatever season you are in right now. It could be doubt, it could be something else that you are comparing your life to the wicked in many ways and you are being enticed by it. Make it a priority to be with the people of God and see God at work in your life. Think on these things as your application point. And maybe when you are gathering with your connect group, try to see and evaluate your life. What can be changed? How can I apply this to have a better commitment to walk with the Lord and see how he will bless you? See how he will change your perspective. Look at verse 18 to 20 with me. The dealing with the wicked. Now, after his perspective is changed, he says, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream. When one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He realized, aha, God is not silent with the wicked. The first time Jesus came as a baby in a manger, he died a days that you deserved, you and I deserved. He was crucified over 2,000 years ago, and he rose from the dead. And everyone who believes on him will escape the coming judgment of Christ. The second time when he comes, he will come as a judge to judge the living and the dead. He will judge everyone one day. All who believe on the Son of God will have eternal life. He who does not believe on the Son of God, the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God is like a cloud hanging on the wicked. Any moment they will slip away, they will drop dead. If you are here today and you haven't heard the gospel message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right where you are seated. Believe that he died for you and that he rose again from the dead and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Believe on him for your salvation. Believe on him and you will be made right with God. And his account of righteousness, sinlessness, everything he has done on earth in obedience to his father will be credited to you. The moment you believe on him, here is an application for you. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be right with God. A friend brought you here, whatever circumstance, or the snowstorm brought you here, whatever state you are in, how you ended up here, it is the mercy of God that's keeping you alive. You could be dropping dead. Your heart could stop right now. God says, look to the Son and be saved. Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. The King is coming. And he has appointed a day where he will judge the world in righteousness. And everyone who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Flee from the coming judgment. Consider the day of the Lord is coming. And if you have any question later, if you have any question later, brothers and sisters, anywhere in this, in this building can answer that for you. The most important thing you need to consider is the state of your soul. Where am I going? 
Think of Jesus preaching from Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man enjoyed all the good things in this life. And Lazarus was struggling. He was a poor man. He was suffering with illness of all kinds. And Jesus said, when Lazarus died, he entered into the bosom of Abraham. And he was in joy. He was in the presence of the Lord. The rich man was in torment. He opened up his eyes and says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, please. I am burning. Call my tongue, I am burning. Friends, people make Jesus to be some needy, very, very, you know, approachable or stuff. But there is also the aspect of Jesus people forget. He will come to judge the living and the dead. The court, the ultimate court, is not the supreme court in D.C. There is a court in heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ is reigning supremely. And he will come. And the king is coming. We just sang a song, Joy to the World. When I study the background, it is based and inspired from Psalm 98. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, the king is coming. If you are people like me who are suffering with injustice, maybe you have a family member who was injured. Maybe you have some kind of wrong, crime committed by the wicked, and you are looking for justice in the human system, and you can't find it. And the police were looking for the criminal to catch them, and you cannot find that. And you are mourning and lamenting before God. Remember this. There is a court in heaven, and the king of glory is coming. He will judge the living and the dead. There is one day all injustice will be made right. There is one day where the king will rule in righteousness, in peace, and in equity. Look to him. He is our great hope, and he is coming again. Are you looking to him? Are you looking to him to sustain you? When you feel tempted, how are you resisting that temptation through the gospel of Jesus Christ? through the incarnation of the Son of God, through the truths found in Him. How are you resisting that temptation? Friends, when Paul preached from 2 Corinthians 1.20, he said, all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Him, in Christ Jesus our Lord. When the writer of Hebrews preached from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, he said, keep your life free from money. Be content with what you have. How am I going to be content with what I have? Through Christ Jesus, your Lord, who gives his grace in your need. Look at Paul in Philippians 4. He said, through abundance, as well as through seasons of luck, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not talking about being a great basketball player or jumping off a high building. That's talking about contentness. Jesus will sustain you when you are tempted. Look to him. His joy, he himself is sufficient for you. Look to him. In the gospel, he will dispense every need of yours. Pastor Jordan, last time on the screen, was showing Philippians 4.19. Think about it. You, they were giving. The Philippians were giving to his ministry. And then Paul burst this in, in thanksgiving. He said, I have an abundance. I don't need it. But I see God's grace in you and your giving. 
And then he says, my God will supply for all your needs in glory in Christ Jesus. I don't care if it is financial need. I don't care if it is um, some kind of physical ailment. Anything. Jesus is sufficient. It's the good news we have. It's not just for the people who don't know God that the gospel is needed. For us every day, we need to hear it. We need to apply the gospel. How are we to cultivate contentness? Friends, God commands us to cultivate the discipline of thanksgiving. Think of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in everything. Be thankful in everything, for this is the will of God toward you. When you come before the Lord in prayer, are you just rattling off a list of things? Are you thankful for what he already have done? He will redirect your heart. He will change your heart. Your perspective will change when you express how thankful you are for what you have. Your eyes are lifted from comparing yourself, but turns into grateful heart, a joyful heart. And you have expectation trusting him that he will do more. He will sustain you. Whatever luck that you have, Jesus is enough. Are you cultivating thankfulness? In the season of Advent, we have great temptation. Some of us have lost a family member and are grieving, and we are wondering, and we are hurting. We are trying to remember them, and the wicked is always joyful. There is no death in the family. There is no sickness. There is no hospital visit for them. The holiday season is all cheerfulness. And for you, you're grieving. You're spending time in the hospital appointment. There are many reasons to be tempted in the season of Advent. But friends, I will say, Jesus is coming back. In Titus 2, Paul says, The grace of God has appeared, training us to deny ungodliness. To live righteously, holy in this present time. Waiting for the appearing of our blessed hope. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is your blessed hope? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Cultivate a thankful heart. Look at verse 21 and 22. The envying of the wicked. Look at the other effect of comparing. When my soul was embittered. There it is. First in verse 2 and 3. He was envious of the wicked. By comparing himself, he was envious. And now he is embittered. Comparison will lead you to be bitter and covetousness. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in hurt, I was brutish and ignorant, and I was like a beast toward you. His thinking process is gone. His reasoning ability is gone. He's saying, I was like a beast. How can I not think of the reality? I was sleeping, I was falling apart. I was turning my back on my only hope. He's realizing it. And when you do compare yourself to others, especially to the wicked, you start to envy, you start to get bitter in your heart, you start to get angry at God, and you start to question His ways, and you start to be covetous. Paul says in Colossians 3.5, covetousness is like idolatry. He equates it to idolatry. Look at 23 to 28 with me. He turns his focus on God as his refuge. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I, I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may, I may tell of all your works. He now considers and focuses with an eternal perspective. Aha, the Lord is my portion. I am with him forever. Friends, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his bride. You are with him forever. You will reign. The meek shall inherit the earth. In the regeneration, you will inherit and the wicked will perish. Have an eternal perspective. Think of Paul in his ministry that sustained me when I had a loss in my family a year and a half ago. He said in 2 Corinthians 6, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Because he is continually thinking on the eternal. Our outward person is perishing. Even though our outward body is perishing, we are being renewed day by day. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. How did this guy endure suffering? He has an eternal perspective of everything in his life and ministry. Let us shift our focus, not just to the temporal, but to the eternal. Later on, think about application to take with, from this. How can I refocus? How can I change my eyes from the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. What are some practices that you can start today to help you cultivate an eternal perspective in your life? Think on these things and consider. We sang the song, Joy to the World, and the lyric says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. I was sitting right over there, and the brother blessed me when he was singing. When we sing, it doesn't matter if your voice is not that great. Sing out loud to the glory of God, and <laughs> you will bless others next to you too. I told uh, John Oliveras um, a few, few months ago, and I said, God blessed me seeing you when your daughter was struggling in the hospital with uh, respiratory virus uh, maybe less than a year ago. He ended up being here with us, and I'm like, John, you know how I was blessed? You know how I was strengthened? My brother passed, and I stood over there, and I sang the goodness of God with the whole church. God did wondrous work in my heart, and I was crying, and I was looking around me, making sure I'm doing this. God blessed me when I see people confessing the goodness of God, and I was standing side by side, focusing my attention on the eternal perspective. Think on these things. Think of Paul's message in Philippians 4. Think on these things. That is your mind consistently being reprogrammed. It's like a software. It needs an update. You need to come back to the Word, and you need to hear the Word of God. You need to connect with the body of Christ. 
I know Pastor Jordan many times have said there's no such thing as loving Jesus and hating his church or, oh, the church is not for me. No, my friend. You love Jesus means you love his church too. Let us turn our hope to him this day. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, you are coming. And at your first coming, the angels announced it. And we rejoiced at your coming. Just as you appeared the first time and you accomplished the plan that was spoken by your word hundreds of years ago before your appearance, you will come again a second time. Your word tells us in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Christ appeared the first time to bear and to suffer, uh, to bear the sins of many and to suffer on their behalf. But the second time, he is coming to judge the living and the dead. And he will come. When he comes, he will come for his bride, and his church will be perfected, and she will be in glory and bliss and joy and in his love forever and the wicked will perish. Oh God, may it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.